Hey, welcome back to Pigeon Hole Hockey. This is Chris and today's co-host, Steve. Hey, how's it going, hockey fans? And we're just a couple goalies that have taken one too many pucks to the head and do not claim to be hockey experts, but simply overzealous hockey fans that love to play, watch, read, and talk about hockey. We mostly cover the NHL, but we'll also discuss other happenings around the hockey world, so be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to let us know what you think. Also, be sure to comment and share any hockey news, highlights, or videos we should cover in an upcoming podcast. So to start off today's podcast, me and Steve are very happy to introduce our guest, the assistant coach of the Carlton Place Canadians, Sebastian LaMarche. Hey, good morning, fellas. How's it going? It's going, Great. my friend. It's going. Basically, we wanted to welcome you to the show. We've been chatting back and forth for the last couple, maybe about one or two weeks now. So we're excited we could find a time for all of us to connect and, and talk about some hockey. So... Sebastian, tell us a little bit about yourself and your hockey life. Yeah, so uh, I grew up kind of in the Ottawa Valley, um, which is kind of what ties me to the Carlton Place here. Uh, but uh, I was uh, I was an all right hockey player. I wouldn't say I was the best hockey player, but uh, I always kind of um, saw the game, but never could uh, use my athletic skills to say the, say the least. Um, so I floated <laughs> around, you know, played uh, minor hockey, house league, and then jumped up to some double A, a little bit, a little bit of triple A, jumped back down. Uh, Kind of hung on to a couple junior B rosters, uh, more to take a punch in the head than more than to play hockey. I wasn't a great hockey player, like I said, but I could use my hands in other ways. Uh, but one thing that kind of stuck me to hockey the most was actually uh, I grew up uh, with a single mom. And uh, probably in my first year of Pee Wee, uh, I wasn't playing yet, but she was dating somebody who was, had her their son was playing hockey. So I'd go to every practice, every game, and I loved it. I could have stood on the sidelines and still been a huge fan. And uh, actually that coach... Um, Kind of asked me, like, you know, what's, uh, why aren't you playing? Like, is there, you know, something going on? And my mom kind of explained to him, you know, we just don't have the funds for it. Um, within, uh, I would say, probably three days, he gave me a call at home and said, uh, you know, I found a sponsor for you. Uh, we've got equipment for you. Show up to the rink on Saturday for practice. So, I mean, I think that's what kind of grew my love of hockey, and I haven't let go since then. Well, that's absolutely amazing, man. I grew up where we, we couldn't afford gear in our family as well. Basically, even played the most basic position. You know, I wanted to be a goalie, so my dad just looked at me like, that's not happening. So that's really awesome that you were able to get that sponsor and get that ice time. And so you said you're in the Ottawa Valley area. Were you in Carlton Place? Did you grow up in the Carlton Place area? No. So I kind of, I grew up in uh, just outside of uh, Smith Falls, Ontario. Uh, so okay, I played yep. my minor hockey in Smith Falls and then uh, kind of just jumped around uh, just a little bit with uh, Westport Ritos and a little bit with uh, Castleman uh, Vikings from Junior B kind of on the roster, not on the roster, kind of jumping around. So I never really, you know, played, like really got into a full-time position with them, but still just the love of hockey, I couldn't give it up. Okay, yeah, yeah I like Smith Falls. That's where I go shooting when I'm in Canada. Yeah, They it's, got uh, that open range, yeah. Exactly, exactly. There's a lot of things. I mean, it's got, it gets a kind of a bad rap for, you know, what it used to be back in the day, but it actually it was, a, it was a great hockey town to grow up with, uh, tons of talent there and amazing coaches, so I wouldn't change it for the world. That's great, awesome. and what position, in what position were you playing when you played? So I play defense, so I kind of... Uh, uh, so, we, so we either love you or we hate you. Yeah, exactly. Depending on what kind of defense you were, so <laughs> we'll get into that later. <laughs> yeah, we're a couple goalies, so it is. what You, you either hated or loved your defensemen, and... Uh, yeah, I, I know the names of the guys I loved, and I know the names of the guys I hated. Because when they're on the ice, I'm like, oh, hell. Yeah. Sometimes I practice my goal. I'll, I'll kind of take the goalies aside when we're doing a little warm-up and get some more up drills going with them. And they've asked me that, you know, like, were you kind of one of the D-men we hated or one of the ones we loved? And I said, depending on the day. I go, sometimes I went in there at practice, and I made sure you hated me. But, you know, in games, I made sure you loved me. Yeah. Chris and I's biggest pet peeves are don't touch the puck on the way to the net unless you're going to completely block it. And uh, don't shove people on top of us. Those are two of the major ones. 
that we that we t- we tend to look at and say, "Come on." So, lots of times during games, when you see that goal that goes in, and at first you're like, "Did a goalie flop it?" You go back and you look, and we, we just saw one last week we were reviewing where the guy chicken winged it, and it completely changed the direction of the puck. And you know, the funny part about that is, being two goalies, we can look at that and say, "Yeah, he didn't have a chance." Right? That puck changed direction. He didn't know where the hell it went. Meanwhile. Half the fan base is like, oh, come on, goalie. You should have had that. It was shot from yeah. the red line. I'm like, well, it kind of tips at 10 feet in front of you. Uh, <laughs> you I'm, always, now. I'm always letting my D-men know, you know, if something like that happens, I'm like, well, you know you owe him dinner now, right? Yeah. Kind of, you made him look bad. He's going to take it for the team. I'm like, but when this is done, you guys are going to McDonald's after. <laughs> dinner and a back rub, buddy. There's exactly. There's a back rub in there, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that was, a, that was on the Provo goalie last week where the defenseman just his arm up there yeah you could see not only the the goalie's reaction but the defenseman's reaction and it was just like oh buddy why'd you do that yeah and like and then i was trying to give him the benefit of the doubt you know that whole something's whistling by your ear you're gonna flick your arm up i was hoping it was that reaction not like oh i'm gonna try to block it with my elbow (laughs) so but anyway i digress back to it so um defense why did they so were you put on defense be or was that a chosen place for you to pick like what inspired you to jump on the deep yeah so for me obviously i um like i said i didn't get into peewee so i got time to tons of watch hockey so i wanted to be you know the wayne gretzky i wanted to score 50 goals a game if i could but when i got to the team i didn't really have a choice there was kind of a spot missing on d and i mean i was very grateful just to be on the ice with them so they threw me back on d and i just never looked back from there it was kind of Something I took pride on, you know, blocking shots, you know, make clearing the crease. It was kind of, I realized quickly that my skating ability wasn't where I thought it was in my own head. So mm-hmm. I better, uh, better find some different skills. And uh, I found defense kind of let me, let me shine where I was, what was best at hockey and let me hide away from my uh, not so great skating skills. Yeah. Well, that's the one thing, right, that really separates, you know, some of the strong defensemen in the league now. When you go back and you look in the, say, 80s, you could see some horrible skaters, right? And the game's now progressed to a point. Like, even the – I'm trying to think of who the worst skater in the league would be, in my opinion. And even that's hard to come up with, right? The only thing you can really say about a guy now is the bigger, slower guys, right, that just can't accelerate. Skating is such a fundamental part of the game. Uh, One of the most brilliant guys I've seen lately, uh, Connor Garland for the Coyotes, until he blew out his knee. My goodness, that guy could stop on a dime and do a 180. And he he was so successful for, well, a short period of time. Hopefully his knee is fine again. But just because of his edge work, he was it was so amazing. So, yeah, like you, I, um, I actually could skate better backwards than I could forwards. So goaltending was such a great fit for me. <laughs> yeah, I don't think, uh, if, it was, if I was a kid in today's game, I don't think I'd fit in very well. Because like you said, today's defenseman is just, even the guys we have on our team is just junior B. But I'm like, they'll see, I'll see them skate and I'm like, what? Where did that come from? Like, it's just like the, even the guys that you say are like this bigger, slower guy or the stay-at-home defenseman today can carry the puck end to end, no problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when you were growing up, though, which, you know, did you gravitate towards defensemen as your favorite players or who were some of your favorite players growing up? So I think the one that like always hits off the map and like people are always kind of like, where'd that come from? For me, it was always Al McInnes. Ah. I just love just going in and blasting a shot. I mean, for some reason, that was just like, I just love watching that. And I mean, when... When a guy does it that consistently for that long, it was kind of he stuck he stuck in mind. And guys like Rob Blake, just because he's I think to me he was kind of like that first defenseman where it was like he'll stay at home, he'll be nasty, but if he has an end-to-end rush, watch out because he's probably going to score. Yeah, you know, interesting two picks there. You know, McGinnis that slap shot 
But I remember it terrified Patrick Waugh. <laughs> you know that, and you think you think of that shot too with the wooden stick. You know? Yeah, exactly. I, imagine Mel McGinnis now with one of those composite sticks. How no, just I know, right? No. It would be unfair. <laughs> yeah, that would be. <laughs> well, you think if he's hitting 100 miles an hour with a wood stick, what the heck would they do with the composite? Right? That's just just scary to even think about. So. As a goalie, I just wanted them to bring back the wood sticks because everyone had a composite <laughs> stick when I was playing, and I'm just their shots were absolutely wicked. Yeah, well, it doesn't it really doesn't level the playing field, right? It uh, you used to have guys that could really just rocket one, and didn't mean everybody in the team could snipe, but now it seems like uh, every guy's got a pretty decent rocket coming off that stick. So, um, yeah. yeah. So before they try to change goalie equipment, yeah, again, uh, hell's to know. <laughs> Oh, you don't want the smaller goalie equipment and the soccer size nets? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that was part of the thing I was laughing at, right? When they were looking at resizing stuff. And, you know, there's a, in my opinion, there's enough scoring in hockey now. Like, just leave stuff alone, right? Yeah, exactly. Every, everybody's got it figured out. We don't need, you know, 15 to 8 games. You know, the scoring has definitely gone up. But yeah, when they were talking about adjusting the size of the net, I'm like, dear lord, like how big are these goalies going to have to get? Like Bishop would, you know, in order in order for that to fill the net again, Bishop would have been considered the small goalie, right? How they got to be seven two or above, Russ. We won't even look at them now. So, <laughs> well, I see a big problem if they ever decided because I know they were talking about adjusting that at one point. I'm like, here's the problem with adjusting the net: you have a group of goalies that have developed with that size of the net, their bodies know that net internally externally you know where you are in a net to where you're supposed to be in a net you you know where your posts are even adjusting it a few inches either way it would just mess you up as a goalie i think i mean i it would for me maybe i I was never that good but I, i think if they made the net that big it would just it would throw off the goalies that have grown up with that size of net because you adjust your entire play to knowing where that net is without looking you know what i mean no oh, absolutely it'd be no so, different than changing the size of a baseball or the size of a basketball hoop right yeah <laughs> mid-season or you know even before a season starts and they don't get much practice on it it would make no sense it, the, the problem was remember going back in the days of gar snow you know and yep. goalies were wearing the huge bloated equipment like come yeah. on guys yeah. it was that yeah, that's that too me, much yeah that to me that was just blatant cheating right like you know yeah. you, your shoulders weren't, you know, that huge that they came up above your head, right? And then the pads were getting a little bit ridiculously long, you know. So I agree with some. Of yeah, the I've never pads. had a problem with adjusting the pads ever. I think yeah. the pads always could have used a reduction, even when I was wearing the bigger, thicker crap when I got into it in North Dakota and such. That was heavy equipment to wear around too. The lighter stuff is fantastic. I can move quicker. I. Don't feel honestly. I don't feel the shots as much as I did with the big thick equipment. You, you can just move quicker as a goalie. I more, I guess, more natural, and you don't need all that. If it's not protecting your body, it shouldn't be on your body. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so back to back to your um, hockey playing days and you shifting over to a coach. Uh, what yeah. do you think helped um, you know you become a coach with being a defenseman? I think really just kind of understanding. You know, um, like I always tell my guys, it's all about committing in the D zone. Um, you know, every team has a system, obviously, of how you want to play in the offensive zone. But once the puck's in there, it's kind of, you've kind of got a little bit of freedom to make a play or, you know, swing the puck wherever you want to go. But in the D zone, it's kind of like, you know, you've got a structure, you've got to follow it to make sure, you know, either it's man or you're playing a zone or however you're playing it. You got to make sure everyone's doing their job to get the puck out of the zone to then go score. And I always tell the guys this because we've got a few guys this year on our team, phenomenal hockey players. 
but they love to sit at the red line or even the opposing blue line just waiting for a pass if they could. Like they, if they could sit there all day, they would. And I mean, the minute they touch the puck, they're going to score. I mean, I, and I tell them that, but I'm like, you've got to commit to the D zone to me as a coach. That's always what I preach to them because I'm like, you know, there's the, the goalie. The goalie can only do so much, and I mean, we have some very athletic goalies, and they are very good. But you know, if it's a five on two with a goalie, it's you know, you're, you're kind of leaving them out to dry, and then they're going to get scored on, and then the team gets all you know, all what the heck happened there or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, as a coach, I'm always preaching, you know, you know, commit to the D zone. Let's get the puck out, and from there, you guys can do whatever you want with the puck as long as you score, get a scoring mm-hmm. chance, and get a good shot off. So you know, for, you know, I think with um, being a younger coach, a lot of the older coaches are the same way. They're telling me, "I'll commit to the D zone, commit to the D zone," and some of the guys are kind of like, "Yeah, yeah." When you break it down and show them through a defenseman's eyes or a goalie's eyes about why it's important, you know, to maybe have that guy at the wing or to play your man hard at the blue line, it kind of opens their eyes, and I'm hoping to you know get them to to play a bit more defensive hockey because I. Because we have, we have a ton of offensive talent, but we just need to you know structure that that D zone. And I think for me as a coach, it's kind of what I always hit on, and it comes back to playing defense. Because I used to hate being back there on a five on two with you know three guys slowly coming across the blue line, just looking at you waving like, "Yeah, I'm coming. Don't worry." Yeah, the uh, you were mentioning five on two. I had uh, flashbacks where guys just want to play defense, and then all you can do is stand in the middle of that and hope that you save it. <laughs> um, but you know, the, it's interesting you talked about that um, commitment to D because. Uh, you know, one of Chris's favorite players, Ovechkin, you know, never would have got a cup, you know, if his coach didn't sit him down. Uh, what was the name of that coach? Because he's the awesome one on the Islanders now. Uh, Barry Trotz. Barry yeah, Trotz. Trotz. There you go. Trotz. Um, and Trotz didn't sit him down and make him commit to the system. Um, because, you know, it was easy enough playing the Capitals in every playoff when Ovechkin was doing the Alex Ovechkin show he, yeah. you know if they're down they're down they're not scoring he wanted to carry the puck all himself go up you know go up the ice not looking to pass and all you do is keep them to the outside and when the goalies tuned in for playoff hockey you're just not going to score there right so when Ovechkin won his cup he was probably the best player on the ice because of the way he was hitting shot blocking playing D and playing the whole package and you just can't win I don't care at any level anymore without it. Like maybe Tim Bits hockey and a little bit up from that into novice, right? When you're just fast, but when everybody else catches back up, right? If you're not playing defense, you're just not going to win. So um, yeah, great point on that one. And then you could tell why, uh, again, Blake and McInnes were two of your favorite defense, two of the better stay at home defense that still could contribute on the offensive side would need to. So um so as, as a goaltending coach, we'll transition over to this. Um, <laughs> for me and Chris are also being ex-goalies. Uh, we never call ourselves ex-goalies. We're just always goalies, so shame on oh, yeah. me. Yeah, I'm, I'm never yeah. putting X up there, ever. <laughs> so what do you do specifically with your goalies to get them game ready and to improve their game? So they have their own actual goalie coach that, with if this wasn't a COVID season, uh, would usually either be on the ice with us once a week or they would go see him once a week. Uh, right now, because of you know we have a restricted bubble and we can only have so many people in our bubble, um, we'll, I usually get 10, 15 minutes once a week uh, while the players are doing their warm-up. Um, and I'll, I always ask them. So I was lucky enough to be in a situation where I'm actually uh, engaged to a goalie who nice. um, was actually a better athlete than I, than I am. So... I get to pick her brain and kind of figure out, you know, hey, I talked to the goalies and they want to work on angles or they want to work on picking up the puck off the boards or whatever it is they want to work on that day. So I'll work with her, put some drills together. Um, she actually, uh, her goalie coach was Tom Dempsey, who was um, Marc-Andre Fleury's goalie coach as well as Vasilevsky's wow. goalie coach at one point. 
Nice. So I always tell the guys, I'm like, listen, I know it's coming from a player, and I'm, we're working on this, but like, I'm, I'm, I promise you I'm getting the stuff where, you know, I'm getting the drills from someone who knows their stuff. So we'll work on, you know, just simple angling or, you know, warming up uh, the gloves, you know, blocker pads and working on rebounds. A uh, big thing for us this year, we want to really engage our goalies to play the puck. So we're working on rims or set plays on how to on power play, you know, if the puck gets dumped in on a certain side where we want to go with the puck. So it's kind of, we're just always kind of working on the same thing, but I just want to keep, you know, for me, I always tell the guys, I just want to keep them engaged and sharp because, you know, in a game we don't want, we don't like goalies who really kind of sit in their crease and wait for the play to happen. Like if the puck's there and they're on a change, I'm like, you have a green light. You fire that thing down the ice and let's go get a goal. Yeah, smart, smart. Because the, you know, some of the best goalies in the league, you know, make it difficult for the other teams coming into their zone, right? So puck handling is, you know, it's one of those art forms for a goaltender. Either you have it or you don't. Like, there's there's great examples. Price is great at it. Mike Smith, phenomenal. Marty yeah. And Smith actually learned off Marty Turco, right? So... Um, but there are just other ones, and you watch them jump out of the net. You're like, "Oh, this is going to be ugly." I think I remember watching Tim Thomas every time, and me starting to crack up, going, "Well, this is not going to end well." <laughs> so, oh, I know. That's why I tell them too. I'm like, you know your strengths. You know, if, if if you're a quick goal, you can get to the puck, go for it. But if you're having one of those days where you're like, "Oh, I'm feeling a little slow," I'm like, just don't end up on a highlight reel on the bad end of it. I'm like, that's why I always tell them. I'm like, if you feel confident, green yeah. light. But the minute you have a doubt in your mind, I'm like, let's just stay in the crease. I'm like, let's not uh, let's not, let's not hear about it during the intermission, please. <laughs> yeah, we watched a highlight from that too. The uh, I mean, this is from the last week or two. Remember, Chris? Yeah, which one are you talking about? Well, the one off the goalie's chest, and he tried to dive out to hit it, and it just slid right underneath him, right? And yeah, that yeah, yeah. And you can't, you know, at that one, you feel terrible for the goalie, right? Because you know, obviously, he already feels bad about the puck hitting his chest and exploding off, you know, five feet in front of him. Coming off the goalie's chest. I thought it kind of was just coming into the zone, and he just missed time. Well, I, I, so, well see, you, you I were you at that game? Yeah, I was at that game, and I think yeah, so, I think he just mistimed it, which because I've done that, I've mistimed it. I'm like, oh hell! And, but you, when you commit, <laughs> you oh, yeah, commit so, it. So the the problem was I couldn't see that part right. All I could see was all of a sudden the goalie exploding into the picture. So if he did hesitate at that one, it was doing the should I go or not. But regardless, it's just that horrible feeling when that puck is five feet from you and there's people roaring to it. <laughs> Can I get to it in time? Now the way I recommend doing that one though was was it was it Hasek that did the two pads stack out and sent both guys flying over top of them? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a. Uh, are you talking about the one where he went way out and sent yeah. the? Uh, he got a penalty for it too. It's against Detroit, right? Yeah, was he on so. yeah. yeah, he was. On, yeah, exactly. It. So, or was he I, on Detroit when it happened? I, I'm not sure if he. I think he. I think he may have been on Detroit and came out to stop that. He did the bad slide. That's the way I recommend doing it because hell, you know, you're gonna stop it. Your defense defenseman's gonna get there. <laughs> you may draw a penalty, but your coach, your coach will still ask you why the hell did you do that? And at least you can say, coach. I overcommitted. I was screwed, <laughs> and his butt yep. didn't go in. Right, so um, th- that would be my preferred method. Plus, it's always awesome watching a guy go flying up over top, even you know, towards the blue line. So, um, but anyway, it's good to hear that you're working with your goalies because one of the biggest pet peeves I have ever had was not just you know, you know. Sometimes I had goalie coaches and they would they would work well with me, but it's just there's certain drills that you know completely drove me nuts when goalies did not get enough time. So I usually I usually like you know when I was coaching I like to have the first fifteen like you said 
um, to start with the goaltenders and really work with them. But then at the end of practice again, just so before they get off the ice, so they have a good feel for the puck and tracking for the puck, right? So that's what, always one of my recommendations is just get them a good feel for that puck. Just, to, you know, not blistering shots, but play a few rebound drills off of them. Get them feeling that puck and tracking it well and being confident going into the next game. So Yeah, and that's something always like in practice too. I know like we'll do certain drills where, you know, the goalies are basically just there to stop the puck or whatever. And I'll just tell the guys, I'm like, you know, if the puck goes out and you want to play it, I'm like, and you're not sure, I'm like, this is the time to try it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'd rather you go out, you know, not be 100% confident because maybe you think the puck's too far or the puck's coming too quick and you miss it. I'm like, in a practice, I'm like, what's going to happen? The head coach is going to come over to you and say, hey, you know, if you're committing to it, make sure you get it or whatever. I'm like, if it goes in, I'm like, who cares? You start the next drill, the whistle blows, and we start all over again. I'm like, rather you do that in a, in a practice and get a feel for it than do it in a game and, you know, get that one goal score against and then, you know, the whole team kind of goes down or whatever. So I'm like, in a practice, I'm like, guys, I, I encourage you to just do absolutely, like, what you have to do. And even if you're not 100% comfortable doing it, but you want to try it, go do it. Worst case, you know, the whistle blows, we start all over again, and, you know, there's no harm. Yeah. No, great, great point, great point. Um, so, uh Chris had this question down, and I think it's a great one, um, always, is what do you find to be your most difficult aspect of being a coach? So for me, um, I kind of when I was thinking about that one, I got that one, I was kind of him and hawing. And for me, I think is I kind of pride myself on being a player's coach. Like I like to kind of coaching ranks outside I'm on the younger side. So I kind of like to connect with these kids and I'll make sure. I know mental is such a big part of the game these days. So I, I like to be, you know, that guy, like, you know, if you need to text me, you need to call me, we need to grab a coffee, whatever it is, feel free. I'm always happy to be that person. But then on the same side, I also need to be able to demand what we need out of them, right? So if I if I can see they're not kind of skating to their, to their top or the top potential or, you know, they're just kind of screwing around, it's hard to kind of find that balance of being, you know, the guy that they know that, like, hey, if something's going on, I can speak to you, but at the same time, laying down the law and being like, like hey, you know, maybe, you know, you're screwing a little bit around too much of practice or, you know, you're kind of being more authoritative on them. So for me, it's kind of that finding that balance because, and I think, I mean, if you look at, like, the NHL today, I mean, John Cooper, for example, I think he's the perfect, you know, he's the perfect guy for this. You can see he gets on his players and he's kind of making sure that they're motivated, they're playing a top-notch hockey, but at the same time, you can tell that all of his players think that, you know, something goes wrong, coach has got my back, and that, that's kind of where I want to fall in, and for me as a coach, that's the hardest thing is to find that balance of, you know, the player thinking, you know, coach is a little too hard on me, but at the same time knowing that, like, hey, you know, maybe there's something going on at home, I'm going to give coach a call and, you know, let's, let's have a chat because I just need someone to talk to. Okay, so uh, this led me into this, right, because there was, uh, you know, uh, the Leafs with their huge coaching controversy, and there's been a lot of them out there about coaches' treatment with kids, you know, and even NHL players, right? So I think we all remember having a hard-ass coach that was just a complete jerk, um, <laughs> you know, at yeah. some point in our lives, and, you know, you just don't respond really necessarily well to them. What did you think was the major issue with Babcock in Toronto? Uh, of course, you know, I'm not asking a professional opinion. I'm not asking you to put yourself out there for, you know, to get yourself in any type of trouble. But just as a coach, what did you see, you know, as a potential issue with Babcock in Toronto? For me, I think with Babcock, and I mean, the thing is, I think other than like the things that came to light, I still think he was a great coach. I've read his book and I see how he motivated guys before, you know, in the kind of the old school hockey way. And I think he just never really evolved into the new school, right? With the Toronto, he has such a young team. I mean, when Marner came in and, you know, they had that just such a young core and he was still trying to teach them that like old school hockey way, but coming through, you know, minor hockey, major junior, you know, NCAA, wherever they're coming from, they've got those, those new style of coaches where it's, you know, you're still demanding the best out of your player, but you're also kind of making sure that they know that, you know, you're there to help as a human, you know, hockey player aside, you're there to help them as a human. You want them helping grow as a, as a person. And I think with 
Babcock, once they got to a team there, it was very much old school, raw, raw coaching. And I just think it wasn't a good fit. And I think it's just kind of, you know, one thing led to another and then all this came to light. And I mean, you see some coaches like look at Torts today. Torts is the same way where I think it's you, you kind of see where he's like he's a very raw, raw coach, kind of old school style. But then you look at his assistant coaches and you hear the, the players talk about their assistant coaches. And it's like those guys are like their best friends. Like they're always there to help them. They know, you know, if something's going on, you know, they don't have to go to Torts and kind of have a confrontational you know, conversation with them. They can go to the assistant coach and speak to him. And I just think with Toronto, it was just too old school with a young team. And mm-hmm. I, it was just bound to happen when they, they brought him in there. Yeah. Heard, I think yeah. Go, go ahead, Chris. Go ahead. No, go I was ahead. just going to say, I think you you brought up a good point, uh, Steve and, and Sebastian, is uh, I think hockey's changed as the world has changed. The world has definitely changed. And I think hockey and coaching hockey in any sport, truthfully, you have to adapt to the, you know, the new world we're in. And I think you look at a team like, again, I will always talk about my Sabres, too. And we talked about how, how Trotz got the most out of Ovechkin and finally got him that cup. But you look at Buffalo now and... Ottawa was a dumpster fire for a while. Buffalo became a dumpster fire, and I really thought it was going to get bad. But then we signed Hall, and you started looking into why Buffalo got Hall. And that was a big thing we talked about on a previous podcast. What it boils down to is Buffalo was able to sign Hall based off the coach. Exactly. Because Kruger was an assistant coach in Edmonton when Hall was a kid, and Hall responded to Kruger, and he said the moment that stood out to him as a player, as the young hot star player on the Edmonton Oilers was Kruger came back, you know, after a game and wanted to talk with him. And he's like, oh, here we go. We're going to watch video or something. And he just has how he was and how things were going. And he cared about him as a person. And that meant a lot to Taylor Hall. And he had a chance to play for him again in Buffalo. And it was a massive decision as to why he came to Buffalo. And that's what you're looking for. Buffalo's gone through a bunch of coaches and the city does worry they're going to lose a guy like Eichel or one of the other talented players moving forward in the future. But you're not hearing them moan like they did before. Since we got Kruger, Eichel doesn't groan about being in Buffalo. We, we were able to get guys like Skinner and guys like Hall. And, you know, we're, we'll be able to keep a guy like Rasmus Dahlin who loves it in Buffalo and the fans love him. And so I think what you're saying right there. Sebastian is being that sort of uh, coach, being the the guy that, hey, you can call me. We can go to Equator Coffee and we can, you know, talk if you need to talk. And this is this is the way forward with understanding that you're not just building a hockey player. You're you're building a strong individual, the whole person concept, not just a hockey player. Yeah, exactly. I think today, I mean, even for me, the way I look at it, and people always ask me, like, you know, when my coaching is I always want to help the player reach the next level. The next level doesn't mean the NHL, doesn't mean the OHL, doesn't mean junior A. If the next level is, hey, um, I'm a tradesman and I'm actually trying to be an electrician. And once I'm done this year and I graduate from junior B, I'm actually going to go work. Well, the next level is to work. And you know, I just want to make sure that they know that when they move forward, you know, they've got all the skills they need to go forward, but they also have that relationship to come back and you know, maybe knock on the door, give a call and say, hey, you know, I'm having a rough go. Can we have a chat? Absolutely. That For me, it's kind of like you want to build that relationship. And the thing is, is for me as, as a player, is, and now that I look back, you know, I always trusted my coach. And I think that was just – it was just because you were taught to. You know, that's your coach. He's going to do the best for you. Well, in today's game, I think there's – you need to earn that trust in the player. It's not just going to be the player's going to show up and he trusts you right away. He doesn't know you from, you know, from Adam. So it's like you've got to build that relationship so they trust you. So when you're asking them to do something they're not quite comfortable on the ice, they're going to know I'm not going to throw them out there you know, to make them look terrible so they can come off the ice and then someone can chew them out. If I'm putting them in a situation, it's because I believe in them and I know they can do it. 
And, you know, when they do what they have to do and they come back with a big smile on their bench or they get that goal or whatever it is, it's kind of like that's a huge reward for as a coach. No, yeah, that's that, awesome. Yeah, great, ahead, great, no, great points to bring up, you know, because we watched a whole shift of coaches, right, in the old. So the thing about Tortorella, he seems to be a coach that's both loved and hated by certain players, right? There's certain ones that just cannot stand him, but there are guys that praise him. And if you look at the, you look at the Columbus Blue Jackets, right, he's doing something right. Yeah, exactly. You know, because it's so the thing we'll point out about that team is it's not star studded like it, you know, could have been if everybody stayed on that team, right, and didn't take off on them. But he's done such a good job teaching a good system in that hockey team that they continue to, you know, shine and still really, you know, you know, the playoffs, they were pushing teams on the brink again, right? Um, There's still, I think, some room in this sport for that little bit more of a hard edge coach. But as you said, you know, it's the, Assistant coaches trying to bring these guys up and prop them up. Now back to the Leafs for one second. How did you think their new head coach did filling in for them? I think Sheldon Keefe did a great job. Um, I think he came in, and it's a hard place to come in, right? Especially that late into a season. Yeah, uh, you're kind of dropped in, and I, I think he kind of had more of a heads up than the media did, right? I think when he kind of knew, like within a week, I'm going to be up there, so we had a chance to kind of look at his roster. You know, talk to um, Dubas and Shanahan about you know what players they're kind of moving in, moving out. Um, but I think he just kind of did a really good job of going in there and kind of being that you know middle ground of you know you're a hard edge, but at the same time he's understanding where these young players are coming from. He's letting them play their game. Um, to me, and I mean, I know he gets a ton, 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 ton of flack for his contract. I love Mitch Marner, so I'm a Sens fan, but I love Mitch Marner. His game, what he can do on and away from the puck, is insane. And I think he needs to have a coach that understands, you know, he's going to go to the, you know, we want our guys going into to the dots and getting a chance. But Marner's going to pop out because he's always looking for a pass. And, he, you know, if, if he was kind of a guy who would pop out and then, you know, make a, a bad pass and turn the other way, you know, it's different. You kind of got to change his game. But he's so good at getting out and finding a seam inside to give someone a good shot. But I think when Shelton Keith got there, you notice that he kind of was more confident doing that. And I'm not sure if that's because, you know, Maybe he got some flack on video after when he did it when you know before Keith got there, but it just kind of you can kind of tell once he got there that it kind of like the Leafs roster kind of calmed down, and I think they really kind of gelled together. And I honestly think that um, if not this year, next year they're actually going to be a very scary hockey team. Just just an interesting side note on that one. I was actually at the game in Arizona when Keith took over his very first game, um, and then watched Tyson Berry get his first goal. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, and as as you know, as a Coyotes fan, I'm like, sure, but this is the game you pick to start scoring, <laughs> right, champ? Out of boy. So, um, so and my wife's a Leafs fan, and she, of course she was cheering, and I'm just like, oh, shut up, this is ridiculous. Like, I can't. I hasn't potted one all season, and waits the the Coyotes to come and start doing this stuff. But um, yeah, it's it, you know, I can't imagine any coach coming in, uh, especially with the kind of media attention Toronto gets, right, and trying to right that ship. The only in Marner now, um, actually, he just released an article. It's interesting. You guys were talking about Marner and his style of play. Like he just said, he's got to go to the dirty areas more this season to get more goals. Yeah, and you know, I agree. They so he's Absolutely. got to put he's got to put himself out there a little bit more if he wants to elevate it. Because you know, Leaf fans were riding on Marner. Uh, you know, both that fabric. He disappeared from the playoffs. Well, you just have to in the playoffs get used to that more physical you know, style of play. And if he's willing to go down there, that makes him that much more of a threat. So hopefully Marner this year, you know, <laughs> well, hopefully he doesn't learn and my Canadians walk all over them. But <laughs> but hopefully he's learned and he's down in those dirty areas at times, taking his lumps to get that 
puck out for that quick shot, but you've also seen effective players like that down there, right? They don't panic when that puck hits their stick. You know, the exceptional ones are able to pull that puck out and then make it, you know, a brilliant pass over to somebody, right? To just tuck it into that empty net. And then the other one that I had in mind is just the, you know, there was no desperation play in the last game for the Leafs. You know, what I you saw at the game before when they battled back and got, what was it, three or four goals in a matter of, a matter of two minutes to come back and send it to OT and eventually win, right? The very last game, the elimination game, with the last minute and a half, I know your tank is emptied a bit, and I'll say a bit because this wasn't, you know, the Stanley Cup finals here, right? I just didn't see the desperation coming out of that, right? I saw, you know, Marner sort of floating up on top, not doing much. I saw Matthews going down into a corner where he should have been going in 100 miles an hour, getting ready to block that shot or, you know, hit the defense but to put more pressure. But the puck was just so easily transitioned into that zone. And then that was it. And I just looked at that going, wow, where was the commitment to win on that shift, right? Where was that desperation? So I guarantee you, I, you know, Sheldon Keefe and the rest of his team all looked at that video. And I have a feeling that'll be addressed this year. Well, you, um, you bring up a good point. I think, that, and I got my, my buddy's a huge Leafs fan and we talk hockey all the time. It, it, they, it looked like they were defeated. You know, yeah. even when they got down that game, I mean... Like I said to him, I'm like, you're paying Kyle Clifford for one job, and I get it. I've been a goon in my life. You're, he's out there to protect players. He's out there to make space. You know, he's kind of still playing that old school game. Why are you letting a guy like Jason Spezza fight when you're sitting right beside him? Mm-hmm. You know, he's a vet, but you know the fact that Jason Spezza had to drop the gloves, do that for them to get a spark going, and then kind of, you know, they responded, but then they came out the next game and said again, you know, goal goes in. They kind of looked flat. I said to him, like, oh, you know, they're not going to win the cup ever like that because you know they get down a goal and it's like the series is over. Yeah, that was it. Like there was just that that. You know, you can you can see the, you know, just even the game before, right? You get that, you're starting to claw your way back in, you tie it on up, you know, and just their emotional level just took over that, you know, took over the game, right? The momentum had completely shifted. And just that one, they weren't doing something to create their own momentum, right? It just seemed like, well, well we thought we were going to walk all over them tonight, boys. So it didn't happen and just go from there, right? So um, we'll see which sleeps brand we get uh, coming out you know, this year and into the into the playoffs. They should make it, right? And then we're saying the word should right now because um, we'll get your thoughts on this, Coach. What do you think happens if there's an all-Canadian division? <laughs> Who do you think's coming out uh, of that alive and with a playoff spot? That, that's a tough one. I mean, it's it's all going to come down to, you know, because you're playing the same teams basically over and over and over again. So you're, you're basically going to be grinding out wins by the end of it. I think, you know, the Leafs obviously are a top runner. They've got, you know, they've got a good mix of skill. They've got some grinders. Um, they've got some pretty good goaltending. And then you got, you know, like the Oilers. They, it's just a team that just seems like they just can't break through. And maybe, you know, this is the year. I mean, you got McDavid and uh, Drysaddle who obviously absolutely lit it up. If they can continue their run, I mean, they're kind of a hard team to stop just on those guys. Vancouver's got Markstrom. If he plays like he did at the end of the season. Oh, no, they I mean, don't. That's a- no, they've got, they don't have Markstrom is now a Calgary flame. No, that's what I mean. Sorry, that's what I meant. He went to Calgary, sorry. Okay, so yeah, got, sorry, sorry. Yeah. You got, got you. Yeah, okay, got yeah, you. So Calgary got Markstrom. So they've got, you know, hopefully steady goaltending now. So they've got some in the back end, so they can work. I mean, they're, they're a very kind of grind you out, but still skillful team. You know, Montreal, I mean, you can't really, you got Price. I mean, if he's on his game, you, it's it's a, it's pretty hard to, to beat Montreal at home when you got a guy like that who's just absolutely shutting them out. Yeah. Um, but to me, honestly, like as much as I hate to say, it, like I said again, I'm a Sense fan. As much as I hate to say it, it, I think it might be time for the Leafs to push over that edge and compete. But again, it, with a, a COVID season like we saw in the, in the playoffs, you never know what can happen these days, just because it's such a strange a strange season. 
Kenna, who are you looking most forward to watching for the World Juniors coming over this uh, Christmas break coming up? Uh, um, for me, I think, and, and so I'm, I'll be completely honest. I was one of those sense fans that when number fi- num- pick number five came around, I was looking at all these offensive talents. Um, yeah. you know, and I knew Jake Sanderson, people were saying, you know, he should go up higher than five. But I was like, you know what? That's just, to me, it's just kind of not the exciting pick, right? You're picking a stay-at-home guy who, they've already said his offensive side's not huge, but, you know. So I was like, ah, it was kind of on the fence. that They picked him. Um, and I've been watching a lot of UND hockey just because there's so many sends on that on that team. So it's kind yeah. of like you kind of see what, what the future looks like. And his first two games, it just looked like, you know, someone who'd been there for three years already. Um, someone who, you know, could steady that back end. And for me, like, that's what excites me because they've got a ton of talent. And, you know, everyone knows that. Their prospects are, are coming up and they're, you know, they should be good, at least on paper. But then you got a guy who, you know, you got Shabbat who can take the puck and end. You got a guy like Branstrom. But there's really no one that's that stay-at-home guy. And I think if you bring in a guy like Jake Sanderson to kind of anchor the other side of the ice, to me, that's, that gets me so excited. Because then you can see the, pro, you can see the, the, the offensive defensemen go off and do what they have to do and know that their defense partner is going to be back. Kind of like when you know, uh, we had uh, Eric Carlson and um, uh, Mark, Mark Mathot. You know, Carlson went and did his thing, but Mathot was always there to back him up. And it was kind of like... I'm excited to see that again. Yeah, and that's important. I think, like I said, it wasn't, uh, so to speak, the sexy pick people wanted. You know, people want the flashy score. People want anything that's flashy, truthfully. And exactly. he wasn't necessarily a flashy pick, but I think he's the right pick for sure. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. He's, I know. I'm excited. I'm always I'm always looking at the goalies. So I think the U.S. will have Spencer Knight in that. He's a Panthers draft pick from, I yep. think, last year. So I'm excited to see Spencer Knight in that uh, if, if he's coming in. And I don't know what – are the Russians showing up for this? I don't even know. Yeah, that's kind right. of – they they're, last I heard, they had flown in. But, you know, it's this year it's so weird. But, yeah, I, if they can get Askarov, they can get on the ice and they yeah. get Askarov on the ice. I'm so excited to watch that kid that, play. That's what I want to see. I want to see Askarov play. Askarov and Knight. I mean, I'm, I'm and again, if, if if they're a goalie, they're these are the guys I'm watching. I love watching these new goalies come up, seeing how they perform because it is a big, you know, it's it's the world stage, it's the world juniors. This is where they're telling the hockey world, you know, I'm next. And uh and you love seeing that. And so yeah, I'm excited to see the the attendees. Because you are in coaching now. What kind of led you down the coaching road? Uh, so for me, kind of, so once I kind of knew hockey was done, I went off to college, uh, played some college rugby where I had a knee injury that kind of kept me out for my final season. Um, kind of got asked to be a player coach, just kind of stay around, you know, still be part of the team. Um, had a good relationship with my coaches. So I did that and it kind of got me in that coaching bug. So once I, uh, I went to school in Kingston, Ontario, I moved back to Ottawa. Um, I kind of was looking for coaching. I didn't know what to do. It was summertime. Uh, so I had a friend basically say, you know, like our, our, our peewee football team's looking for a coach. If you want to come in, you know, players didn't have to pay to play. Um, you know, they didn't right. have a lot of money. So it was kind of a volunteer. Everything was volunteer, but they played in, in the Ottawa wide league. Um, so we did that. Uh, we had some phenomenal players. I think from that team, uh, right now we have four guys already signed or playing NCAA Division One football uh, awesome. and probably a handful of guys playing uh, Canadian college here. So for me, I was like, okay, hey, like, I really like this. Uh, I got into a nonprofit organization coaching football again. Um, and kind of just in the winter, it's just kind of breaking down plays and uh, just kind of letting uh, players that would never really get a chance to play uh, get into a, some football exercise. Okay. Um, and from there, they actually, uh, Brock Fleming, who was one of the, uh, the people who started the nonprofit, brought me on to a um, prep school who we had here in Ottawa 
uh, called Football North, and we played um, only we only played an Ohio-based schedule, so we only played football in Ohio, which was pretty cool. We got to play some places like uh, Stambaugh Stadium in uh, Youngstown, Ohio, in front of ten thousand people, uh, chaining stick wow. to hockey, and you don't go here, you know, just kind of that banter, and I, I kind of I really love that. Um, the following season, um, they moved our program to Toronto and said, you know, you're more than welcome to come coach if you want. But I wasn't going to uproot my life for, you know, co- just for coaching. I mean, I, if it was right. like, it, was, it, it wasn't kind of, it wasn't a career at that point. Uh, so I reached out to our local junior C hockey team here and basically said, you know, I, I, you know I've got a pretty good video background because football is all the video. I, you know, if you need a volunteer video coach, I'd love to, you know, love to come out. And just didn't really think much would come from it. Got a call back the next day chatted with the GM slash owner, and he's like, you know what, we'll bring you on, we'll introduce you to coaches, and we'll see what happens. So for me, I was excited. Like, hockey's always been my passion, so the fact that I could jump back into hockey um, at a junior level for me was like, wow, like, this is this is great. Uh, we had our first um, our first exhibition game, and actually the same person who gave uh, Matt his, his start, uh, Hamish Frazier, was the head coach. And he said, why don't you just come on the bench? We don't have video tonight, just come on the bench and, you know, we, we need somebody anyway. So I got on the bench and never looked back from there. Kind of, he asked me if I would like to be part of his staff. Uh, we took a one win team. Uh, we were win finishing one point away from the playoffs and it was just a super tight group. Um, and that kind of brought me back. Like I really love coaching that because just to see how happy these guys were, how hard they worked to get to, you know, basically a one win team to uh, just missing the playoffs. And then unfortunately Hamish retired from coaching junior hockey just because he's got some young kids. He wanted to, Wanted to focus on his family, so it kind of left me in a position where I didn't know what was going to happen with the team, you know, if I was welcome back or what was going on. Um, and I had no idea, but Hamish was reaching out to Carlton Place about me, basically saying, hey, if you need an assistant coach, you know, this is your guy. I'm giving you a reference, like, give him a call. So literally on the same day, I got a phone call about coming back to West Carlton with the junior Seahawks team as an assistant coach and assistant GM, just because I kind of kept recruiting all summer. And to me, that was awesome. I got to be a part of you know both sides of the hockey as a GM and as a coach. It was super exciting. Uh, but then I got a call to go to Carlton Place, and for me, kind of as much as I loved and, and I was super you know respectful for you know the chance that I got from West Carlton, um, the opportunity to go learn in Carlton Place was like was next level. I mean, right now our, our coaching staff um, for the junior A's, they've got um, their head coach uh, Jason Clark, which is his resume speaks for himself. You know, he's Pumped out a ton of Division One hockey players, a couple of NHL draft picks, championships. His assistant right now is Mark Lafleur, which coached in the queue. Um, uh, my head coach right now is Trevor Peters, uh, which is kind of my mentor right now. He's coached Junior A. He's coached you know AAA, Pee Wee, kind of coached all over the place. But you know, just a super smart hockey coach. Uh, their U18 program right now has uh, Todd Clark, which is Jason's brother, just a smart too, just like knows his stuff. Uh, always happy to kind of teach, and uh, his assistant's actually uh, Radic Bonk. Who played for the Senators back in the day? Oh so it's yeah, kind of like, yeah. So it's kind of like there's just so much I can pick up from. It was just like an opportunity where it's like, wow, like if I have a question, I get 50 different answers and you know drills, you know how to how to you know, you know talk to a player in a certain situation, you know how to how to act on the bench, how to act off the ice. It's kind of like it was just kind of. It was just so overwhelming with the stuff I could learn that I was just more than happy to take on the Carlton Place job. I didn't know you had the uh, the kind of previous little bit of GM experience too there, so that's actually awesome. And Radic Bonk, isn't he? He's Czech, right? Yeah, he's Czech. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He still lives in Ottawa then. Yeah. So I, we actually um, we had a, a quick beer after practice uh, the other day, and we're kind of talking. Someone asked him that, like, "Well, you didn't want to go back home?" And he said, "Well, he married uh, a local girl here." And he was living back home after he, he retired from the NHL and played in the Czech League for a few years. 
And she kind of said, hey, you know, I'd like to move back home. So he moved back home and his son's actually playing on our U18 team. The kid's 15 years old. I think he's 15 or 16. Just phenomenal. Like, if he doesn't make the NHL, I'll be shocked. And you mentioned you're a Sens fan. Is that based off of proximity or did someone kind of instill being a Sens fan? And the reason I ask is, I mean, here you are. You're you're in Ottawa. You're a Sens fan. You're marrying what's your uh, fiance's team? So she's a Habs fan. Good lady. Yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately, she's a Habs fan. Here we are. We're talking to our co-host here, Steve, who's a Habs fan. You're getting married to a Habs fan. I'm married to a Habs fan. And somehow I still ended up with a Leafs fan. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. It just makes we, me feel... I just can look at the cup comparison every day and just smile knowing I'm superior. Um, that'll and if I'm correct, Matt, Matt's a Sens fan, and but Matt's wife uh, is a Flames fan. So none of us marry within the, uh, within the team brand. You know? Yeah. So it, be, it wouldn't make it exciting, right? And exactly. I got that. I think Steve mentioned in our most recent podcast, too, about the uh, his daughters kind of taking on the American side, even though they're American-Canadian kids. Yeah. They're, you know, they've taken on the American side in those, you know, sick sick moves by the the, the women's team during the last Olympics. Uh, the Lamarue sisters, I think we were talking about. Sebastian, I kind of wanted to ask you about, you know, one of your proudest or happiest moments as a coach. Yeah, for me, I think um, kind of right now, just because... I'm kind of seeing, you know, the players that when I coach football, for example, kind of go off to the NCAA, uh, sign, you know, NCAA um, scholarships. And right. for me, it's kind of, I'm so happy to see these kids who kind of were in a, a, a kind of a financially unstable situation. And then now they're getting their education paid for to go over. Like we have one kid who's in West Virginia and he's a sack leader in his first year. Um, you know, he went from, you know, wow. not being able to pay, pay for football and not sure what's going to go on with education. Now he's got a great education in West Virginia. For me, it's kind of, that's my proud moment is to see these guys move on. Um, it doesn't even have to be the NCAA. It it just move on in life. Like we've got, uh, I coached, like I said, Junior C last year. And one of the guys now actually just bumped into him the other day. And he's an electrician. And, you know, he's he's building a house with his fiance and all that kind of stuff. And it's kind of like, that's my proud moment is when I see those guys move on and become good humans, you know, good players. Um, like, obviously, I want to see more guys like them coaching hockey this year kind of move on to NCAA or OHL, wherever they want to go. But to me, as long as they're moving on and they're happy in life, that's kind of my proud moment. It's kind of like, you know, I was able to be a positive influence in their life. And, you know, it's not all me that kind of pushed them there. But, I, I you know, I, I might be a small part of that. But being a small part of that still makes me super proud to watch those guys kind of move on and, and, and become who they who they want to become. No, that's awesome. And, and just to see them develop is as young young men and, and move on with those careers. I mean, it's anybody gets a chance to watch if no one has done yet. Uh, was it Last Chance You on yeah. Netflix? Yeah. That's fantastic. You see some of these kids, I mean, just to get that shot at just getting their their college paid for, they're living out of their cars because they don't have a home. They don't exactly. They don't have nowhere to go. They can't afford the the cost of, uh, specifically the one I'm referencing is uh, the cost of you know housing in Oakland area. And so they're living in their cars and, and parking lots and then going to the game and trying to get their education, trying to get noticed so they can get a scholarship so they can get to one of those, you know, big universities and get that ride so that they can. And again, if, if they're super talented, they'll make the NFL or they'll make the National Hockey League and or the Major League Baseball, depending on their sport of choice. But even if they don't, they get that education. Exactly. They get the because honestly, the bulk of people won't make the professional level at all. And so developing that whole person concept and them finding a passion outside of sports because they'll always be if they're a hockey player, football player, whatever they're into. They're always going to have some sort of love for that. All right. Well, uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. This was a, 
our special guest, Sebastian LaMarche. And this is Chris and Steve, Pigeonhole Hockey. Uh, we'll catch you next time. Have a great one, hockey fans.